Hello, listeners and citizens of Broncos country. My name is Adan Diaz, and welcome to another exciting episode of Broncos Talk. I am joined by my co-host, Richie Richie. How are you today, my friend? I'm good, thanks, man. How are you doing? I'm doing all right, thank you very much. And Rich, we have a very special episode here with us today. Yes, we do. We are continuing our Ask the Fan series, who, if you guys remember was a pretty big hit when we did this a few weeks ago with my brother who was a detroit lions fan nando so if you guys haven't checked that video out make sure you go to our uh, youtube page at mhrt podcast and check out that video but today we have a very special special guest with us ladies and gentlemen our very special guest nfl super fan please welcome sean moore all right sean how's it going my friend good how are you guys doing we're doing all right now, Sean. We got to talk a little bit backstage, um, and you know, uh, we're we're kind of curious. We always like to start off when we ask when we bring our guests on. Tell us how you became to be a Cincinnati Bengals fan. It all started when I was six. Uh, actually, I was living in Florida at the time, and I was watching the Dolphins play the Bengals, and I saw these really cool helmets, and I'm like, those are awesome. The next year we moved to Ohio. <laughs> And my dad was always a firm believer that he rooted for the hometown team. So my choices were the Browns or the Bengals. The Bengals had the really awesome helmets. So therefore, I became a Bengals fan at the age of six. And then from there, it just grew into what it is today. You know, the face paint, the whole get up and all of that stuff. I've been doing that for over 20 years. Um, was actually inducted in the Hall of Fame in 2003 as the ultimate Bengals fan. Mm-hmm. Was named the 2020 Bengals fan of the year. Oh, congratulations! So, thank you. So throughout the years, I've done just different stuff with you know the look is a, a little bit you know the hat. It's much more you know ornate now. It was just a started out lime green with just some orange or black spray paint on it, and then mm-hmm. it's, to have it painted by somebody who has much more skill than I do now. <laughs> well, that's great to hear. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you have any questions for our special guest, please make sure to leave them in the comment section and we will try to answer them to the best of our ability uh, live on the air with the time that we are allotted. So uh, my I guess my first question to you, Sean, would be, you know, we, we, we have a very deep rivalry with the Raiders and the Chargers and the Chiefs in our division. But you, you did mention about having the choice between being a Browns fan and a Bengals fan. Even how would you rate that rivalry? Who do you think you guys rival with the most in your division? I'd have to say it's Pittsburgh just because of the, you know, that kind of the five year span of just hitting them in the wildcard playoffs when they took out Palmer's knee. And then you have the 2015 playoff game where all hell broke loose at the end and was, I went through the whole gamut of emotion in five minutes. But it just, there's just so much about them that makes you just want to hate them right there when you come when they play in cincinnati there's almost at times in our bad years there were more steelers fans in the stadium than there were Bengals fans so you kind of you have to put up with that you know and a lot of time we were losing so it was even worse from these fans and i they just they travel well but there's also kind of the bandwagoners that are ohio steelers fans and those are worse than pittsburgh steelers fans because I've been to Heinz Field and it was fantastic. Like everybody treated me great. I was in full face paint and everything and welcome to Pittsburgh, have a good time. Blah, blah, blah. In my own stadium, I don't get that kind of treatment from Steelers fans. <laughs> wow. Uh, uh, good. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, just wanted to say hi to a couple of people in the chat. Uh, Vic, welcome to the show. Kenneth Booker, Muhammad, John L. Buckley. And I uh, don't believe I've, I've missed anybody else, but uh, thanks for, for watching, guys. Hope you guys are enjoying the show. Um, but uh, I, I got to tell you, uh, Sean, I think I was pretty ecstatic when you guys got to select uh, Joe Burrow as your quarterback. And, you know, the hype for Joe Burrow has been pretty big. When he went down with that injury last season, what was your initial thought about the, about the, the future of the team? The initial thought was just, you know, the pit stomach when I watched it happen. I mean, it just, to see him go down and then you're like, okay, maybe you just, at first you kind of want to expect the best. Like, you see the replay, you're like, no, that's not good. 
I mean, as far as the the future of it, you know, I think we're fine because you've had, you know, people come back from the niche or from ACLs, from all that kind of stuff. It's much more advanced than it was. We look, you know, back to the Carson Palmer and Kimo Ron Olhoff and hit. Mm-hmm. You know, Palmer towards knee and he was back to start that season. So you kind of, you look at it as you know they're going to be back. It's a setback because they probably would have won three or four more games with Burrow in there because they were games against the Giants and against, you know, they would have won that game against the Redskins, probably would have beat the Dolphins. You know, granted, you wouldn't be in the position of the draft you are now if that happened, but winning helps. You need to learn a lot of young guys on that team. You need to learn to win. And some of them have not seen that. You know, you won two games the year before. You only won three this this past year. And it's just kind of, you got to get that under your belt. Draft picks are nice, but Winning is better than draft picks, in my opinion. So, I mean, I have to say that you've got to probably pretty much be in the same position I am. I, I watched, I actually watched the Bengals games as long as it doesn't conflict with the Broncos playing. Um, it, it, being, uh, by the way, I'm from Canada, so I'm, we don't actually have like a hometown team. The NFL has tried to shove the Buffalo Bills down our throats here in the GTA. <laughs> um, I'm a Broncos fan, so you'll see how well that went. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so, I, I mean, I watched Joe Burrow play, and and Joe Burrow actually, if I'm going to compare him to any other rookie quarterback, reminded me a little bit of Justin Herbert in the way you saw him kind of command and work the offense. You kind of saw them right out the gate, and you just said, "Oh, okay, that's going to be a problem." Like for other right. teams, not for your team. Your team, you're sitting there saying, "If I'm a Bengals fan, man, I'm over the moon." Yeah, <laughs> um, he just. Yeah. The leadership that he showed within right. the right. first few games, it was like, who is this kid? <laughs> it's uh, Mr. Boggins, uh, loyal co-host of the Mile High Roundtable podcast. He has a question for you, Sean. He says, the big question, Jamar Chase or Panay Sewell? Both. Easy. <laughs> now, I, I was very you know heavy on the Sewell train right at the end of the season. Because, you know, you still have everything is in your head about the offensive line, about, you know, you got to protect Joe, which even though the hit that he went out on could happen to any team, no matter how good that tackle is. You get beat on a movie, try, Jordan tried to catch up, and mm-hmm. it mean, that could happen to anybody. But the more I get kind of, you know, as we're getting closer, I've kind of switched my allegiance more to Team Chase because I think that receiver to take the top off, and just go helps. I mean, you've got Boyd, you've got Higgins, you put Chase there, O-line draft. I think you have some guys that you could throw in there that will, you know, to pick it, pick 38. Like Leatherwood hopefully is still there at 38. That's kind of my, that's my dream scenario right now is to go Chase at five and then Leatherwood at 38 and see where that happens. But I would, like I said, Chase just seems too good to pass up. I mean, Sewell, He's got the short arm, so you'd have to be, you know, put him at guard. But right, uh, my high profit. He says, hoping they go wide receiver and let Chaser or Sewell fall to the Broncos at nine. Also, thanks for watching, my high profit. Um, now, this is very interesting that we're, you know, since we're talking about the draft here, uh, Sean. A lot of people in Broncos country are hoping that. If the Broncos do go for a quarterback, that they move up in the trade and trade with somebody up like uh, who's up there, uh, Atlanta, or uh, maybe even uh, Cincinnati for for that record. I'm I'm not sure, but if the for you, if the Bengals decided to trade back, would you think that that would be a good move for Cincinnati, or do you think that they're okay where they are now and they need to get who's the best available player on the board? I'm not a big fan of the trade back in this draft right now, just because I think you're in such a sweet spot because if Atlanta's still there at four, they're sitting, they're going to take, you know, probably Pitts, Chase, or Shul. So then we get the leftovers, if you want to call it that, of those two, that or whoever's left in that pick. And you can't really, you know, if they go Chase, then you go Sewell. I don't, I don't want Pitts. I just don't. I mean, he's a great player, but I just don't think that's where we need to go right now. We don't need that tight end. I mean, he's obviously he's more than just a tight end, but taking him at five for us doesn't seem to make sense to me right now. It's not a dire position of need. 
So I just, I'm not a big fan because I think once you go, how far back do you go? Like if you go back to nine, what's kind of sitting there? You know, if you go back, it's, do you, you kind of, you're almost going to be reaching for somebody that you're going to take to try to make sure they don't go because after nine, you know, are they going to be between nine and 38? What's going to happen there? Right. No, I, I totally get it. Almost put you into panic mode to say, oh crap, we got to get this guy now when you could have maybe waited or see, maybe you can trade back up into the first round somewhere along the line. Right. No, I totally understand what you're saying. See, I'm not a big like draft analyst. I don't really watch college football. I only pay attention during this period. And I usually go off of what somebody that knows more about draft uh, picks goes, but yeah, but I do watch tape on certain names that keep popping up. Like uh, you mentioned Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts is kind of like the guy that can almost do anything but throw a football. And we don't even know that because we've never seen him throw a football. So he's a really good player, but he's a really good player on a really good offensive team that needs a tight end. And tight ends are very rare to go in the very first round, especially up that high. Uh, It's being slated that quarterback, the quarterback draft for next season is not going to be that good. Um, From what I read, I don't know if that's true. So, you know, the quarterbacks that are on the board, you know, obviously uh, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, uh, Trevor Lawrence. uh, I do believe that one of those teams, either the Niners, the Jets, or maybe even the Jaguars are going to either do something really crazy, like not get one of those quarterbacks, or they're going to draft and, you know, draft down and let somebody else come up and, and get that uh you know get that position up on their on their board for either one of those quarterbacks see i don't know if that's gonna happen because i don't think that you know jacksonville needs a quarterback they've got to have one mm-hmm. that's traded darnold out of there so they're definitely going quarterback and i don't think san francisco would move up to three to not take a quarterback at this i mean there's got to be you don't trade all that away if you don't already know who you're taking right well, I mean, isn't the Jets like the, the least suspenseful pick you've ever seen? Yeah. Like, like, you know, it's like we're gonna trade away our starter before the draft even starts, and then we're and then we stay at two. I mean, <laughs> you may as well just say, All right, there's three or four quarterbacks that you're likely gonna take, probably only two. Okay, so we'll pencil one of the two in and flip a coin and hope we got it right. I, I mean right. It, it's literally the least suspenseful pick I have ever seen. At least the Jaguars, I mean, the owner's crazy, but um, at least the Jaguars, um, they have Gardner Minshew, who has not been great, but has not been awful. Um, He's kind of been, he's kind of that definition of like right down the middle quarterback. And really he hasn't had a ton around him on the offensive side of the ball in, in truth. So, I mean, they could go absolutely silly and hopefully someone tries to go bananas to go for number one, but I mean, at this point here, as an owner, you you have to see dollar signs when you're seeing a guy like Trevor Lawrence coming into the league potentially on your team. Uh, obviously, being in Florida, it's not uh, well. Florida's a huge state, but I mean, I can imagine it'll be Lawrence jerseys like up and down. <laughs> That's on the other. Co- I'm I'm in Tampa, so I have to deal with all of. The- oh, the I'm box. sorry about that. Yeah, I'm sorry. exactly. Yeah. yeah. Hey, I'm I'm in Chicago, man, and I keep telling you every <laughs> single time I walk out wearing this jersey, I always get somebody that says I'm wearing the wrong colors or there's the wrong animal on my jersey or whatever. It's like you don't have to necessarily live in this. Just because I live in Chicago doesn't mean I have to root for the Bears. You know, right. I, I still root for the for baseball, the White Sox. I still root for the Bulls. I still root for the. That's as far as I'll go. But you know, in terms of football. A whole different sport it's a whole different story so i feel what you're talking about sean yeah. uh my high prophet also chimes in he says i feel the same way about trading up from nine feel like we'd be reaching for somebody that isn't really worth it and you know what my high prophet i i will go out on a limb and say i kind of used to feel like that 100 but seeing how our new gm the move that he made during this free agency period the only questionable move that can kind of backfire on him is him signing our cornerback Ronald Darby to uh, a big to that contract because Ronald Darby does have an injury history and you know he obviously playing in that really stout Washington defense last season had a really good year. So uh, according to, to at least by me, 
I kind of want to say I can trust this guy, just like I, for the past couple of years, said I trusted Elway when he thought that, uh, you know, uh, Paxton Lynch was going to be the next Aaron Rodgers. And, you know, every single quarterback that Aaron, that uh, John Elway has picked during his tenure as GM, I always, you know, put my faith behind. But unfortunately, the only home run he's hit so far in terms of defense was with Von Miller. And the, the moves he made last season, you know, getting Noah Fant and uh, Jerry Judy and uh, all the offense has has been a home has been not a home run per se, but has been really good so far. It's just that the offense needs to take advantage of what we have. So I, I got a question for you with regards to uh, some some recent kind of news that came out of uh, Bengals HQ with the uh, release of uh, Giovanni Bernard. Um, just kind of wanted to get your your thoughts on on him and I, I, I mean even as a just a fan of the NFL, I, I could see kind of generally what he meant to to the team there in terms of quality player. You never heard anything negative, at least outside of obviously. You know, as a Broncos fan, I'm not plugged in as I'm as I know you are into the Bengals. But uh, you know, just your thoughts on him and, and just kind of everything surrounding that. He is truly probably one of the greatest human beings in the NFL. Just right. kind of just salt of the earth guy. Just I mean, the first game his rookie season, we were on hard knocks, and the big joke was he showed up in his mom's minivan. And that's what he drove for his entire rookie season was this like Chevy Astro van, never didn't buy a new car, didn't and that was his thing, just stayed that way. Every year in the offseason, he goes down to Haiti and starts setting up like villages in there to get clean water in there because he is Haitian. And that guy's so he's very just you know, as far as human being, fantastic. As far as a player, also fantastic. He was that guy that came in there whenever you needed him. You know, when Nixon went down like week five-ish or six-ish, he's in there and he's getting 30 carries a game. He's not a big man. So to take those hits in the AFC North or in any, you know, in the NFL for, you know, 30 carries a game, and he would just, you know, coming out of the backfield on little swing passes, just every little thing. And so it's, I wasn't happy he got let go. Right. I, mean, I think they kind of, you know, I don't want to say did him wrong, but they asked him to take a restructure salary three weeks into free agency instead of doing it at the beginning so he could maybe find a better deal or a better shooter to go out. And then he asked to be released and then they granted it. So, I mean, at least they didn't try to hold him on and just have him be there and be bitter. I think that he's done enough for this team to say he could get kind of what he wanted. If they're like, you know, can I get out within a day or two? He's gone. Right. So, I mean, right. you know, it's, you know, I have no, I wish him nothing but the best. He's coming down here to Tampa. So my wife is happy because she kind of thinks he's cute and all that stuff. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she, likes the, she likes the mustache thing going. She likes the mustache. Yeah. Actually, that was her least favorite part of this year was the mustache. She was. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's got that 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 legit like 80s 70s you know the the one that you saw you, you always see in like the cop shows yes i say like, put him yeah yeah, yeah. like <laughs> put him on a chick's motorcycle and he's good to go him yeah, and Eric yeah. <laughs> yeah so no I, that was that was one of those things where i was actually kind of surprised that that happened kind of obviously you know someone like yourself who's a lot more plugged into the Bengals would obviously have been a little bit more uh you know maybe less surprised because you knew about the restructure of the, like the request for the salary reduction but i mean as a broncos fan and i saw that come through that really did that really did catch me because i you know you just you saw the impact he made on the field for the team right and right and so that was that was a that was a pretty big one and um, just had some questions about what you thought about the the acquisitions in the off season for you guys. You guys made some some pretty decent acquisitions. You shored up a little bit on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, you also happen to get a tight end that has perhaps one of the coolest names in the NFL, Thaddeus Moss. Um, I mean, let's just be real. That's an awesome first name. Right. Um, and, <laughs> um, and then you got Awuzier and uh, Mike Hilton from uh, from Pittsburgh, actually. Um, yeah. So just kind of curious in terms of uh, kind of what you thought and how your team kind of shored itself up coming into the season. Well, I think we signed every cornerback that was in free agents 
on. There was like, I think we ended up with six corners out of free agency, which was, I didn't quite understand that. You know, it is what it is. But Mike Hilton, mm-hmm. I love pickup because he's just, you know, he's got that kind of attitude and just send him on blitzes and just let him, let him go. Um, as far as, you know, we picked up, I can't pronounce his name, defensive lineman from the Cleveland. Yeah. I think I'll, I can't, I just lost it when I went to say it. It's like a Agaboyehi or something of that nature. But that, you know, Hendrickson was almost a swap for Lawson. You know, losing Lawson to the Jets was not ideal because I think Lawson is finally is hitting his stride. He had injuries the first couple of years, and then last year he had a great season. But I think Henderson kind of was that swap. They're different players, but hopefully it equals out. Then getting Riley Reef for that tackle, that was huge. You could put him on one side, Jonah on the other side. And that's what made me start to go away from kind of Sewell at that number five pick because I feel like you've got those two. Your guard play was decent last year. It's not great. We I really wanted a, another guard in free agency. Like Quint Spain's great. Mm-hmm. The kid, uh, I'm drawing blanks on names. <laughs> San Diego, there's a free agent. And I can't think of it. It's gone. It It'll come me. back to you. It, it, it'll be there somewhere. But I mean, oh, you mean LA? Huh? Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. San Diego, LA. Yeah. Oakland, Las Vegas. It's yeah, all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that would have been made me feel a little more comfortable to have another, like a veteran guard that has proven himself to be in there. But I think they did to start off the season on a high note. You know, the defense I should be good to go. Hopefully Anarumo can get him locked in and he can show us something he's not shown us since he's been in Cincinnati. Right. But that's but overall, I mean I'll I'll give him a solid B plus on the, the free agency. Okay. Uh Mr. Bogus has a question for you, Sean. He says, how would you grade the Bengals D and what upgrades do you see happening in the draft? So he's asking, how do you see, how do you feel the Bengals defense played last season? Last season was not good. It was not, you know, I'm just going to put it that way. Couldn't tackle, you know, DBs couldn't, couldn't break up passes. You know, we had freaking LaShawn Sims at DB, which was not good at all. If he was in, you knew that he was getting burnt and then chances are they were going to score. Um mm-hmm. I feel like that was why the focus on the DBs in free agency really helped because you've got better talent. They're not the greatest, but you have much better talent that's out there now. Right. Uh, as far as defense in the draft, I think they're going to pick up an edge rusher at some point in time in there. And then I've got at least another D lineman, you know, kind of after round two, I'm kind of, hazy on you know fuzzy on what it is like you said i'm not i don't follow i'm not deep into like the draft prospects all that kind of stuff i watch college when i'm not traveling back and forth for because i i fly back and forth for all the bengals games so on saturday mm-hmm. we get in an airport and then i land and then i'm hanging out at a bar having some adult beverages when i get there right it's just kind of the college part of it and who's after round two kind of goes into this fuzzy world and they go oh that guy okay let me watch that let me see what's you know yeah i mean for me i think that the biggest blow for that Bengals defense was when they dealt away carlos dunlap because dunlap was a pretty big uh a big part of that defense you know in terms of defensive end. Uh, now i don't know if it was just because they didn't uh have like he, a big contract coming or what it was he, but checked, he checked out he was checked out. He, wanted, he wanted trade and he the production that he showed in Seattle the two weeks after he got there was more than he had done in the first eight weeks in Cincinnati. Uh, it was very, he took plays off quite a bit. And I mean, I love Dunlap. He's been, you know, was nothing but kind to me his entire time there. I mean, his family's great. And all that, but he was, I don't know if it was something with the coaching staff, something that he didn't get along with, but he was, he wanted out and they weren't moving him and nothing was happening so he just kind of checked out and went so then he got to Seattle and all of a sudden he's playing like a man possessed and getting sacked and making the play and it just that kind of makes you angry as a Bengals fan that you 
kind of quit on the team before you left. Mm-hmm. And that's I'm at that point you're like good. I'm glad you're gone. Yeah, no, I, I totally know what you mean. I was kind of expecting something like that from uh, when we lost Chris Harris to to San Diego, uh, San Diego, the Los Angeles, the Chargers, and I was thinking we got lucky he didn't play the the first time we faced him, and the second time, Julak was very careful not to throw an interception his way. But <laughs> it, it it really sucks. It, but at least you got lucky. You guys aren't in the same uh, division where you uh, traded him off to. So. Um, uh, I'm just hearing some interesting things from what you're saying so far, which is actually really interesting because it, it differs a fair amount from what I'm genuinely hearing about the Bengals. I'm hearing you basically say that you, you're actually rather fond of your bookend tackles on your offensive line, or at least you're, you, you like them enough where you're not saying, you know, give me Sewell, give me Slater, give me, you know, there's, you know Jenkins, for example. Um, whereas I'm hearing you saying that you would probably prefer a guard. I would right now. I'm that's kind of where I'm sitting at because I think I feel like those tackles. Because as long as Jonah can stay healthy, which that's been kind of a a slight issue. He didn't play his entire rookie season and then hurt at the end of last year. But I feel like he's got the potential to be there. And then we have Reef on the other side. That is enough of an upgrade, I think, with Burrow as your quarterback that you can get through and be better than you were last year. You know, we've got so you've you've your outside is not great, but it's good. And then you've just got to solidify that inside, which Quentin Spain came in was great last year towards the end of the year. The kind of the center is in the air. Trey Hopkins towards ACL last game of the year. So whether or not he's going to be ready for the start of the season, that's there. You have Billy Price, who flourished under Frank Pollock as an offensive line coach, who's now back as the offensive line coach. So maybe he makes this jump and becomes the center that you drafted him to be at, you know, in the first round a few years ago. So that's Dang. kind of so you've got that other side to kind of lock it in that you need to uh, make it better. Not necessarily great, but just make it better. Better. I, I kind of bring that up because I see a lot of similarities between the Broncos a little bit and the Bengals. Um, although I wish we had your quarterback and you maybe you had ours. Um, <laughs> but um, you know, it, it, but uh, when when I look at kind of just the general look, I, I saw Burrow because he is so sharp. Like, like I said, I, he reminded me so much of Herbert. He was able to assess the field. He was able to adjust things. It, it was it was really remarkable watching him and Herbert play just the way that they did things. But you could totally you could absolutely see on both a couple of the rookie guys, particularly Burrow, that he needed help on the offensive line. He he really did need assistance to kind of keep the you know opposing defense at bay, <laughs> if you will. Right. Um, and then he eventually obviously got hurt as a result of it eventually. So. I actually see a lot of similarities between some of the Broncos stuff and some of the Bengals stuff where Locke, particularly the first, I don't know, half or so of the year, we saw him get hit pretty hard, pretty often, and it was impacting his ability to play. Um, so I saw Burrow, Burrow and Locke in very similar positions. So like I said, I, I see parallels between the two teams, young quarterbacks, offensive line help, and you hope that once they get the time to throw the ball, they can then digest what's on the field in front of them. Although I thought Burrow did a really good job of that anyway. Um, yeah. You know, they could do so much more. Yeah. I, the one thing that I did notice with Burrow last year was kind of, he seemed to be holding it, holding onto the ball just a little too long. And that's where, you know, not all of his hits, but where a lot of his hits were coming from. He was kind of trying to look for something or to make that play that wasn't there. And I think that's also where that receiver that could take can, spread that field out gives you that kind of more, you know, that time or that option because he's gone. So you open something up underneath kind of a little swing pass, something that will help in that aspect. Cause that's, he wants to, you know, he's not afraid to get hit. And that also scares me as, you know, as a Bengals quarterback that you're not afraid to get hit and it's going to happen, but you know, drop it off, throw this here and that kind of. Well, we've seen, yeah. that story, we've seen that story before with Drew Locke. I right now with Drew Locke, Andrew Luck. Um, Andrew Luck reminded me a little bit of that as well, where 
he had clearly the smarts. Uh, Andrew Luck was was uh, pretty sincere. <laughs> you know, he, he made the difference on that team. But he was also one of those guys where, you know, he'd get absolutely rocked, especially early in his career. And he would get up and be like, thanks, man. And, yeah. <laughs> and, and that concerned you. And he, it, you could see it eventually as his career went on. I mean that really impacted him. That really that really had a, a negative impact, I think, on his career and his long term success. Yeah, I think that's right. why he you know got out when he did because he just was tired of it. He got he was set behind bad offensive line behind bad offensive line. So that's why you gotta why I really hope that they can start to solidify that line in front of him. But you know, I kind of that's this is I'm happy either way with this draft. On you know, if you get Sewell or Chase, you can do it, but. It's just, it's tough. It's tough to make. Yeah. I'm glad I'm not making that call. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, uh, just get back on track to some questions, guys. Uh, Kenneth Booker, he has a question for you, Sean. He says, who are your, who is your favorite Bengals player of all time? I like the old school Bengals, Icky Woods, James Brooks, and Boomer uh, Iason. Iason. Come on now. It's Iason. Iason. <laughs> <laughs> I know I, I I I know he's an analyst on CBS, and I didn't realize he was a football player until somebody mentioned it to me one time. I was like, "What?" Oh. Yeah, I mean, I was he, took, like, he was a bank. The Bengals were the Super Bowl in 1989. Huh? Yeah, I'm like, okay, then he knows his stuff. Then, yeah. uh, so all good choices, you know, which is you know, Icky Woods, great, James Brooks, Boomer Sison. You know, I'm a, I was a lineman when I, in my playing day. So Anthony Munoz obviously sticks up there. You know, the only Bengals Hall of Famer at the moment, which is, should be changed soon. Hopefully Ken Anderson and Ken Riley both get in because they're both well deserving. Um, so Esiason, I'd have to say from the 80s, early 90s. And then Chad Johnson ranks up there. Mm-hmm. Been to a Bengals scene that, wasn't getting any kind of attention, wasn't getting anything, and just made it fun. You know, they might have been winning a lot, but he came out there and just, you know, when he made his checklist against the quarterbacks, guaranteed a win against the, you know, Chiefs when they were undefeated. Just little things like that that made you want to tune in to say, what's Chad going to do next? You know, the media was now talking about the Bengals again because of Chad and that kind of thing. I have a soft spot for Bob Johnson, who's why I wear 54. Never got to see him play, but he was the... Bengals' first ever draft pick, played center, which was what I played, and it's the only number that's retired by the Bengals is 54. So Bob Johnson kind of has a, a soft spot in my heart there. So so how do you feel about the king of the side slide, uh, Chris Collinsworth? You know what? As a player, fantastic. He gets on my nerves as a as an analyst. <laughs> not going to lie. Now here's a guy, you know, I just – but it's – I. You know, I can't be too hard on him because he is a a Bengal, so I can't hate him too much. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I, I'm. A, I, I I haven't gone that far back in my Bengals history, uh, so my, my guy would have to be from your team. Would be Whitworth. Um, yeah. I I just there was so I mean again outside looking in, I saw literally nothing but an absolute outstanding individual on and off the field unless there's something that i don't know about yeah, which i don't, I don't think there is true. Yeah. yeah and and so i mean just even the way that he speaks and interacts he seems to also kind of do what he can to reach out to other people that are in similar positions like other offensive tackles in the league and stuff too even now um i just he just seems like an absolute he seems like the guy that you would say that's like a football player's football player yeah and Mm -hmm. and and he's he's gone the distance it's unfortunate he hasn't gone all the way (laughs) but um but i don't think there's anyone even from other teams that would be able to say that that they wouldn't rank whitworth within you know an upper tier of offensive tackles like like, i mean i I think that's a pretty much a universal thing oh yeah he's just i mean a beast it's just you know the fact that he started out at guard with the Bengals and then moved to tackle and became this elite tackle is just, you know, phenomenal. I hated it that he left, but the Bengals at that time didn't feel like they needed to pay offensive linemen. And that was the, that year we lost Whitworth and Zeitler both, you know, in free agency. And it was, and we've been trying to replace that offensive line since. Right. 
Uh, Danny Trujillo asks you, Sean, do you do your own podcasting for the Bengals? I do not. I've been asked and suggested on several occasions that I should do one. Um, I don't know that I, I have a very hard time with the coming up with things to talk about all on my own. I would do, you know, that's where I see you guys are prompting me and then I can fire it out. But I just need somebody to prompt me. <laughs> <laughs> it, it takes some it takes a bit of practice, man. Uh, uh, I'll be honest with you, uh, because when I started, uh, you, you know, Rich and I, we kind of became fans of another Broncos podcast and the same thing with our other members on the Mile High Roundtable. And you just kind of have to launch yourself out there. And, you know, last year during a pandemic was pretty much when podcasts just exploded, you know, because there was really nothing else for people to yeah, do. Say you couldn't, couldn't leave the house. So you might as well talk yeah. to, to people. And Yeah. So, I, I mean, you got to try, man. That'd be my suggestion to you. Don't be afraid about, you know, if anybody's going to listen. Just go out there and make it a passion of yours. You know, as long as you're you and you seem to be a very charismatic person, people yeah. are gonna people are gonna tune in, man, and they're gonna want to listen and hear what you have to say about your favorite team, who you've been rooting for, especially people who are maybe thinking about you know becoming uh, Bengals fans or, in our case, you know Broncos fans, and hear what we have to say. So th that would be my suggestion to you. Um, so let's move on to uh, Mahai Prophet who says, so Mr. Hude, will we have the pleasure of your company in Denver for the Bengals Broncos game? <laughs> He's already asked me this question once. <laughs> it really depends on, you know, how the schedule lines up and that kind of stuff, you know, where it falls with the move to Florida. Every home game is now a road game for me. Mm -hmm. you know, where it was before being in Ohio, you know, I drove two hours of the games to where that was, not a so good at one or two road games a year, but it kind of the road games are more strategic now. Or trying to make sure that we can fit that in or have that in my travel budget because I have to make eight games a year no matter what. I have nine for this year because we have the home for that extra game, mm -hmm. and from that we figure out what we got to go here or there. So, so it's a maybe for now. Though. It's a it's a definite maybe. Definitely. Oh. So, so I have, I have a, my, my, my thing, my version of that. That's a firm maybe. There you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a firm maybe right there. Um, it's, it's definitely one I'd like to get out there. Yeah, I want to go see the the Barrel Man statue because I got I was knew Tim Beck, you know, known him for a few years, and then when he passed away. But just to see the statue, which is one of the greatest things ever that the Broncos have done, you know, to honor their fans or a fan like that in that way. Mm -hmm. I and teams acknowledge their fans and show them something because you know we don't do this for money we don't do it for we just do it because we love our team mm -hmm. and then the team says hey we see you you do stuff and that was this year when they when i was named the fan of the year i was like oh my god they do know who i am yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is you know some stuff and like i went to the Super Bowl experience down here when, you know, before the Super Bowl, and I just posted a picture on Twitter or whatever outside it, and all of a sudden the Bengals had commented on it and retweeted it, and I'm like, I didn't tag the Bengals in it, didn't do anything, and I'm like, they're what? They're paying attention. That kind of, so, that little bit of, you know... Acknowledgement. Acknowledgement just makes it great. Right. Somebody saying thank you for what you do, or that kind of, it just makes it all worthwhile in the end. So, so just before, as we're kind of wrapping down, I, hope, I was hoping to get some extra questions here for you from some of the the, the, the people here. Um, but uh, we obviously, our teams played this year. Um, so I'm just kind of curious, um, some things you think that might pose a problem for your team uh, with us um, in terms of kind of your thoughts on that. And maybe we can kind of reciprocate with a similar answer to something similar that you might have for us as well. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think because I like I was I'm not last year I didn't pay watch a lot of the Broncos games to know I mean I know that the quarterback position at the moment is kind of it's up and down like he has his moment and has the potential to be good yes so, yeah hopefully you know our new DBs can figure out a way to make him not be good right? <laughs> you know our new defensive end can find a way to make him sit on his butt a couple times and then hopefully. You know, we can stop your run game and your pass game, and then we'll be all right. You know, I just, 
The D, I don't know. Other than Von Miller, that's the only thing I have the Broncos defense out of, you know, who is a great player. But if you can, mm-hmm. hopefully you can game plan around one guy. But it's the other, the other 11 I got to worry about that I don't know much about to know if we can take advantage of that situation. No, I, I totally agree with you. And, you know, depending on how the both of our teams draft, you know, uh, if that defense on paper suits up against your Bengals, I think that your offensive line, even if they go out and get a guy like Sewell, is is in, is in deep trouble because that D-line is pretty stacked, you know. And uh, one of the biggest uh, off, uh, flaws I see with, with Bengals, aside from their, their defense that's in a bit of a rebuild, is the fact that, like you said, that offensive line has not been the same since they lost Whitworth. And, you know, and not just trying to replace a guy of that caliber, it's trying to, you know, solidify a line and show the people of or the fans of, of Bengals that, you know, Joe Burrow can be as good as advertised. You just have to protect him, you know. And like you said earlier in the show, the fact that, you know, it kind of scares you that he holds the ball too long. We have that same problem with Julak, where sometimes he tries to read the field longer than he should. And instead of scrambling, you know, inside from the pocket that holds her made, he tries to scramble outside and it's too early and he doesn't give himself a chance to, to make a, a legit play. And throwing off of your back foot is probably one of the scariest things an NFL fan has to see his quarterback do because, it you know, the accuracy is not there unless you're Patrick Mahomes. So it, it, it just like, like it, it could be coming. It could it could it, bleh, it could come down to that when our teams meet. You know, it'll be a Drew Lock versus a, a Joe Burrow uh, shootout. Uh, who knows? Yeah. But um, let's go on to another question that I had here. He from Kale Wright. Thanks for watching the show, my friend. He says uh, tough tougher division: the AFC West or the AFC North, assuming the Broncos improve. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, that's a, a good question. I, I lo- Man, Kale, you're coming in with some tough questions here. <laughs> that, that, might, that might actually be the toughest question I think we've actually had so far. Um, I, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, uh, I, mean, I actually think it's it's a tie, to be honest with you, because we have yeah. to contend with Patrick Mahomes and up-and-coming Justin Kurt Herbert. Derek Carr, he's, he's a roller coaster. He starts off really good, and then towards the end of the season, he kind of just you know sputters towards the end. Whereas in the AFC North, I mean, you guys have to deal with, you know, Lamar Jackson, who's quicker than, than all hell. Yeah, right. We can't um, figure out how to tackle him to save our lives. So. Yeah, big big Ben, <laughs> who, who people want him to hang up his cleats, but he just seems to always have your number. I can't stand Big Jen. It's terrible. <laughs> and then uh, you have um, Colin Cowherd's favorite player over there. Oh, uh, yeah, which it really pains me that the Browns are improving. Because I say all this stuff about Steelers fans and how bad they are, but I lived through the 80s, you know, mid-80s, late-80s when the Browns were good. And those fans are much worse than the Steelers fans. When the Browns are good, it's it's a tough go. So it's kind of – I'm hoping that it was just kind of a one-and-done and then go back to the, the cellar and we can kind of move up to the top of the division. We can keep Cleveland down there and, you know – do Cincinnati and Baltimore for the AFC North area and just let Pittsburgh and Cleveland go out into the go play in the river somewhere. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree with you. And uh so I'm t- Kale, to answer your question from me, I'm gonna say it's it's a tie, dude, because uh it, it, when you say Broncos improve, it it could either be they improve on the defense where they don't get hurt the defensively and you know, literally sputter into the end of the season with you know, players who nobody has ever known trying to keep the team afloat. Or, you know, since we um, uh, uh, we kind of talked about this off the air, since the Broncos decided not to have OTAs, that's going to be a pretty big setback for Drew Locke and the offense because what this team needs is time. And when you don't have OTAs, you're taking time away from the from the offense where they can kind of start trying to get together and not wait until the very last second when the whistle rings and, you know, it's regular season and then try to finger point and blame each other why the offense is not working. 
so I have a bit of a nuanced answer to, to Kale's point there. Uh, I think it all depends on where each of our teams play other teams. So, I mean, when you say tougher division, you often look at wins and losses within all of the teams within that division. So when I think of the uh, the AFC North and the, the you know the Bengals, the Steelers, you know those those teams, uh, they're all known for that gritty style of play. Um, I'm a form, I'm a, I'm a competitive rugby player. That's where my background came from. In Canada, you know, for whatever reason, we like forgot about football. I don't know why. Um, and and we kind of followed like the European model of like everyone just plays rugby and like there's like five football programs and they're all halfway decent but not even good. So I ended up playing rugby. I was a lock, which is in the scrum in the second row. So I have a I have an affinity for that kind of gritty, grinding play you know style of play. So. You know, I have a. That's why I was naturally drawn to like the Steelers and the Bengals and the Browns and that style. So, and all of that to say this, which is, if you guys play more of the pass happy style teams later in the year, where they're used to like flying the ball all over the place, and when it gets cooler, and if if they're playing at your home rather than you playing at theirs, I actually think that you could start seeing the AFC North. Uh, perhaps having much higher win totals just to, because their style of play is so counter to kind of the West typical prototypical right. style of play. Now, if it's inverted and the North comes <laughs> to the West earlier in the season when it's warmer outside and, you know, that kind of gritty grinding style of play is perhaps less effective in the overall scheme of things, then I think we'll be singing a slightly different tune. But I think it would be a mistake to simply write off any of these AFC North teams if if the latter is true. Because come later in the season when it's cold outside and the playoffs start hitting and all that kind of stuff, that's where you start needing that gritty, grinding style of play to start right. putting people down. And I think that's why you've seen the Steelers... I know this. I know Bengals fan here, so you know earmuffs. Um, yeah, that's right. The Steelers do so well. Is, is no noises. You know they've had that grinding, gritty style of play, and it's actually worked for them. And they also happen to hit on, you know, the diamond in the rough in terms of a quarterback who's who can actually elevate their team. And to be quite honest, I think that if if Joe Burrow continues to take some of these next steps forward as a quarterback. You know, realistically speaking, it's quite possible that the Bengals could actually start dethroning the Steelers as Burrow is getting, he's young, but then if he continues to get better, Ben's aging out of the league. I mean, he barely finished last season as is, you know, in a wheelchair and a walker. Um, and and so <laughs> Burrow has a real legit possibility, in my opinion, of, of kind of dethroning and then elevating the Bengals up again. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I think Pittsburgh is on their way, like I said, back down because agreed and doesn't have much left in him you know they lost you know they lost james connor the running back you know they've lost pouncey as their center they're just kind of little pieces that they're this close to kind of hitting the reset button and then starting over which you know the steelers have done and then they know how to do it which is also kind of annoying because you're like wait i want you to be bad for a while (laughs) <laughs> the, the tougher to, I kind of I give the slight edge to the AFC North, which that could be just my my homer bias here. But I just think that back to you know the grittiness, the tough, the toughness of right. that, I think builds it to that level. You know, when you get out to these West Coast offenses, that kind of stuff, it kind of it's not not as it's prettier to watch, but it doesn't necessarily always get the job done. And I think that's that you know the hard nose kind of AFC North is where. But that's also my bias. So. Well, you guys have had consistency in that division, you know, overall for ever, really. Yeah. Like, in truth, like, you know, there's been, like, you know, double-digit wins for as, as long as I can remember at least one or two teams. Yeah. I, I mean, and and playoffs, I mean, and the Bengals have, have, have you know, with um, uh, Dalton, Dalton there, um, you know, there was, albeit one and done, um, right. but, you know, five years, five years straight, you made the playoffs. Right. But that's right. what I'm saying. Making the yeah. playoffs is the first step. You know, I heard a, a great line a couple days ago where, 
you know, getting to the playoffs is the ticket to the Super Bowl. If you don't get the ticket, then you're not going to the Super Bowl. So their first step is to make it to the playoffs and you see what you can do from there. So, I mean, I think that's a, a, a I couldn't agree more. <laughs> um, you know, you got to get there first, right? Right. Uh, Kenneth Booker has a question for you. He says, do you watch the podcast I'm an athlete with Chad Johnson and Brandon Marshall? I have. It's not a, you know, not on a religious basis, but I have watched it a couple times. I've I've heard of it. I've never actually watched uh, an episode. The only time I've seen Brandon Marshall is uh, just before Undisputed starts because he's on uh, first take with uh, oh. Nick Wright and what's his name. So that's the only time I, I hear his name. Uh, Kale Wright asks, what teams does this 17-game season benefit? Uh, you know what, Kale? I don't think we'll find that out until mid-season when we start figuring out which teams are kind of like on the level in terms of you know it's going to give teams an extra chance to get that playoff you know to get into that playoffs especially if you're in a uh that weak nfc uh you know with the cowboys and the eagles those those teams last season i mean they were up and down every single week even though washington always looked like the front runner it's going to be kind of like the bubble team in the ncaa tournament like you know you get that one more win and then you're in. So it gives you that, you know, just another shot. So yeah. I actually think what you're going to see from this is you're going to see two styles of teams that this really benefits. And I really think it's going to do make not a bit of difference for, if I'm going to be honest, as much as it pains me to say it, the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, you know, and some other teams like them. Yeah, that was said with disappointment. Um, so, um, you know, teams like that, you just think that, you know, they have the talent, the requisite talent and the quarterback position figured out, consistency on offense. They're just going to basically get themselves to the playoffs just based on fumes alone, even if they don't play well. Uh, I think what you're going to see the teams that benefit the most from this are uh, really young teams because a lot of the players will be able to withstand the wear and tear of an NFL season, generally speaking, just because they're young enough to potentially even bounce back in season, even if they get hurt. Um, Well, as long as you don't end up with like catastrophic injuries, like you saw from some players last year, but just generally Mm -hmm. speaking, bumps and bruises, a lot of those young guys are going to bounce back a lot faster than, you know, a guy like Ben Roethlisberger as an example, who's, you know, literally limping off the field in like the last three games. Um, He's just a drama queen. He just does that. Oh, (laughs) Um, but does that for show. Right, but but then I also think that the the other style of team that you're gonna you're gonna see come out of this really elevated is teams that have really that draft well and have depth on their roster. I think you're gonna see a, a, a one or two of those teams, and they may even surprise some people in terms of the ones that end up getting in as a result of this, because the depth on their roster will be what gets them in. They'll pull in that fourth or fifth string cornerback that you've never heard of that was undrafted. And then you're going to say, oh, who's that guy? And and you're going to start noticing some of those types of people make it. And that's just my opinion. I think those are the types of teams that uh, you asked who benefits the most. I think those are the two types of teams that will benefit the most from stuff like this. Albert Napres has a question for you, Sean. And I believe we you talked about this at the beginning of the show. What would be your favorite Bengals draft pick uh, in free or free agency? So I said we, the... I think Jamar Chase or Panay Sewell. Like I said, I'm not going to be disappointed with either one. You know, I have, we're sitting about like this right now. I got Chase here, Sewell here, and they're both going to be, I think, great players. It's just a matter of where you, where they fall. And it's part of me hopes that one of them, like I've said earlier, gets picked before we get to it. And that way the decision is made for us because you know, you're going to have the the naysayers no matter what. That if, say, you take Chase and then somebody else takes Sewell, Chase doesn't work out, but Sewell is phenomenal. Everybody's like, ah, oh, I knew we should have taken them. You go the other way, Sewell ends up being a bust, you know, at tackle, which we've had happen quite a bit. You know, see Jake Fisher, see Cedric Mawahi, see, you know, we've been trying to replace that tackle for years, but he doesn't work out there, but Chase goes somewhere else and just explodes and becomes oh we should have taken it so that's the only that if the decision is made for you then it's much you know people can't complain quite as much they're still going to complain but you know right uh you know what i i honestly think you'll you'll be better off with trying to protect joe burrow because 
I'm telling you, when Burrow went down with that injury last season, every single Bengals fan just held their breath. And, you know, Burrow just keeps giving you guys hope. But if you don't protect your quarterback, and this goes for any NFL team, it it especially a guy that you spent the first round draft pick in. I mean, it spells disaster. And your backup quarterback was was Brandon Allen, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. And that was our backup quarterback uh, a couple years ago. And you know he sh- he shined against uh, the Cleveland Browns. And you know he was it looked like maybe he could be a, a, a you know a, a gap uh, answer in terms of a bridge. But then he went to Minnesota, and you know he. he, he just let the Vikings come back and, and stomp us in that game that season. So uh, you don't want to put that much pressure on your backup quarterback, you know? Right. So I, I think that if you guys go out and build, try to build, start building your offensive line, you know, piece by piece and, you know, just give Burrow, like you said, that time in the pocket to throw. I think you guys will be fine. You, you guys losing AJ Green, I know has to be a pretty big, uh, you know, a sentimental value loss. Right. I say it's yeah. sentimental more than it is, you know, performance wise, because mm-hmm. I don't know if it was just him being older now or if the office just didn't suit him the way that he wanted it to, because he just didn't seem to. He wasn't this last year was not the AJ that we've known in the past. And he was healthy for the entire season, which made it even worse to see that kind of production out of him because he hadn't had a full healthy season in three years. Yeah. So then yeah. you're like, this is going to be, he's going to be back. And then for it to be what it was, just was not good. Not the way you wanted to see one of you, a Bengals all-time great go out. So so when you mentioned A.J. Green, you mentioned Dunlap as well. Um, I mean, for the Broncos, it's no secret that we're in a bit of a, an ownership challenge. That's me being kind. Um, and... So do you do you see this maybe being a, a bit of a is this an issue maybe with with the team not winning and you end up with some players like Dunlop and maybe Green getting a little kind of not disenfranchised but you know what I mean like just kind of like almost like uh like depressed if you will on the, from a football sense or or is this maybe something that is a a frustration maybe that some players are having with um, maybe owner it doesn't visually look like the ownership is trying to push to that next level and some of the players that are wanting to go to that next level are more content to try to downplay their play for a year to ship on out and go somewhere else uh, just I'm kind of curious on your on your take on that and if I'm dead wrong on all accounts please correct no so. I I think some of it is definitely frustration from not winning because if you look at these guys right. They were part of that five-year-in-a-row playoff team. You know, they were there. They did that. Cause, and, and you went two years, you know, issue there where you didn't go. Marvin gets let go. You have a brand-new head coach who's now coaching all of Marvin's guys mm-hmm. that were brought in. Who knows how he ran that locker room and who knows how Zach runs his locker room. We, You can hear stuff and know – different things from what you hear but whether what's true we all know is always subjective so i don't know if it was the way that those guys felt like they weren't part of this team anymore because they weren't zach's guys right and now all of marvin's guys are gone there's really nobody that it was a hand-picked marvin guy that's really still there there may be you know, one or two here but the bulk of it you're Five, like core five that were there for that run are now gone. And right. I do, I don't think it's an ownership thing. If you listen to a lot of the play, you know, they all love Mike Brown, Mike Brown just to, and I think he's more of a figurehead now as well. His daughters come in and Troy Black have come in to take over that business side of it. I think he just kind of hangs out, signs the checks and what, you know, he wants this team to win. People bash Mike Brown saying he's cheap. He doesn't want this. And, I have a hard time buying into the he's cheap argument. Years ago, maybe, but now, you know, we're spending $100 million in free agency. We're doing these things to try to win. And then, so you don't know, you know, now what is it? Is it another coach if we can't win this year? You know, he's on year three. It's time to do something. And then you've now, you have no excuses to say that it was Marvin's guys or Marvin's, you, this is your team now. Mm -hmm. And all over it, you've molded it. And, 
you just got to go from there and hope that you can keep that team happy and that you can get production. Right. Uh, you know, we're kind of running short on time, Sean. So uh, just kind of sort of to wrap up. Uh, I want to get your ideas and, and Richie and I will kind of give you uh, just your idea. What are your keys to victory if you're the Bengals coach? And when it comes down to, you know, the Broncos face the Bengals, what are your keys to victory for the Bengals to come out as the victor in that game? Run game, run game, run game. Got to get Mixon going. <laughs> if you, and which it also takes that pressure off of Burrow. Burrow, right. Throw the ball every go. You know, he threw it, you know, 50 times a game last mm-hmm. year. That you're bound and you're going to get hit. You know, you throw it that many times. When, after he gets hurt, we start using, trusting the run game and doing that kind of stuff with the back and forth. And look, it worked. It opened it up. You won a game. You did these things. Why didn't you do that with your stud, your all-star, your first-round draft pick? Why didn't you try that? You have one of the best running backs in the league. Why are you not using him? So I think that's the key. And then just tackle on defense. I don't know how many times last year it was you had three guys go to the ball, and then all of a sudden here's this guy. He's just still going down the field. Where Jesse Bates should not be making all of those tackles coming across with safety. The safety is called that for a reason. He's your mm-hmm. safety. A run, your safety should not be the one making the tackle unless he's coming on the blitz. Right. No, I totally agree with you. I, um, uh, you know, for my understanding, uh, I would probably have to say, you know, get to Burrow. Don't let Burrow sit in the pocket. Don't give him time to throw. If our defensive line can make Joe Burrow really uncomfortable, I think that they'll, I mean, getting a sack would be perfect. Don't get me wrong. But just basically, you know, get in his face. Don't give him time to throw. Don't let him scramble in the pocket. Because like you said, Joe Burrow loves to throw the ball. And one thing you never want to give any quarterback, whether you're facing Burrow or Tom Brady or whoever, is is time in the pocket. Uh, So to me, that's how I think the Broncos come out as victors. And in terms of our offense, just, you know, Drew Locke not making the mistakes that he's been making last season, you know, forcing throws that aren't there, fumbling the ball. If he can get control, get that ball control uh, under wraps, then we, I, I think we can win that game. Yeah, I, I think for the Broncos, our biggest issues um, have to tip. Well, we have two issues on, we have two issues on, on defense and, and kind of one on the offense, both surround the trenches. Um so one is our offensive line. We just need to make sure we we shore that up properly this offseason and then the draft uh, to ensure a solid run game to support Drew Locke in his efforts to continue to grow. I also think that um, as much as I said that, you know, the grit and stuff typically is in the AFC North, I actually think that the Broncos actually need to start returning to some of our roots, what the Broncos are actually known for, which is a running football team. And I, and, I mean... We have some of the some of the best running backs have come through, have come through this logo right here, right? So I, I actually think that we need to go back to that type of a game for ourselves in order for us to to succeed. Uh, on the flip side, on the defensive side of the ball, the ins- the inside linebacker positions for us, we are uh, slow on the inside linebacker uh, part, and we don't have great coverage linebackers in the inside linebacker, which then allows the safeties to actually you know, will be safeties and actually do their job. Um, and, and right now, in order for us to compensate for slower linebacking, linebacking play, our safeties are being schemed to kind of assist in that and almost act as a safety valve to assist with the speed aspect that our linebackers don't have. And then uh, the other piece for me is the interior defensive line, uh, defensive end and, and DT nose tackle. Um, you need that interior defensive line push in order to make po- uh, not even pocket quarterbacks, just quarterbacks in general, uh, uncomfortable in throwing the ball. And we have Bradley Chubb and Von Miller on either side. Um, I don't really care what team you are. You're not stopping both of them. So good luck. Um, and, and, and so you either double team Vaughn and then Chubb is open. Or you you or you double team Chubb and Vaughn will rip you apart. <laughs> yeah, that's actually true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, but unfortunately, guys, that's going to have to do it for today's show. We're out guys. of time. Thank you, guys, everybody in the chat who joined us here live today for tonight's special edition. We, Rich and I, would also like to thank our special guest Sean Moore for taking time out of his day for joining us here today. Sean, if people want to follow you on social media, where can they find you? Everything is at Hootay, baby. 
Hootay. It's all Hootay, baby, all the time. Uh, it's all Hootay, baby. Okay, just wanted to make sure I had the yeah. right name. For all our audio listeners, if you weren't able to join us live, please make sure to give our good friend Sean Moore a follow at Hootay, baby, on Twitter. As for myself, you can follow me on Twitter at a six foot ten Mexican. My co-host at Richie Richie Rich. You can follow the show at MHRT Podcast on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook as well. We live stream every single Tuesday. Guys, thank you very so much for joining us live today. We do hope that you enjoyed today's show. And Sean, Rich, and I would like to have you back on the show after the Bengals and Broncos play. If you would like to or come before, back and be our or guest, or before, depending on how we want to swing it, it might be better before. Uh, absolutely or, or, or before uh you yeah. know we'll, we'll iron the details out uh but you know we we want to try to get everybody's input where we are at that time so for sean and rich my name is adan thank you guys for watching the show we will see you all next time appreciate it thank you